Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. So let's read oh, together. Okay. <clears throat> and there's, there's some Bibles on your, uh, on your table there as well. So, and if you're able to go and uh, stand with me for the reading and the honoring of the Lord's word here this morning. Acts chapter 12. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. And he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too, during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying, but, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Lord, we thank you for your word, and God be we thank you for the beautiful truths that are found in this, in this passage, God. Lord, I pray that you would teach us. Show us your glory. Show us your goodness through your word here this morning. Lord, invite us in to the power that you want to bestow upon us, that you want to stir among us, Lord. We pray that you would do immeasurably more powerful things here this morning than we never even dare to imagine or think possible. Because you are holy, God. And we are your people. Bless us, God, and use us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks. <clears throat> so, I don't know if you can really tell this from, from, from there, but I got quite the sunburn yesterday. Nice, bud. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely, definitely feeling my whiteness uh, yesterday. <laughs> so, but, so... There's, you know, we have all, we all, all of us have a crisis, you know, sometimes in our lives. Um, you know, let's see, how do we respond to crisis? You know, the, the, the things with, you know, sunburn. I remember when I was a kid, gosh, I think it was, I was in junior high, high school, we went to the beach, so because I grew up in Southern California. <laughs> we love you anyways, <laughs> you're fine. I'll say this loud here. You still love <laughs> But we went to the beach, and I, I think I put lotion on in the morning, but I didn't reapply Key phrase for a white kid in the sun, reapply. Yeah. <laughs> and I burned to a crisp. Burned to a crisp. It was horrible. Like, you know, we brought up, you know my parents even brought up the vinegar and, like, doused my, my back with it. You know, we uh, put, did the aloe vera and everything on it. And it's still, I remember, I remember one time I put it, like, on a silk shirt because it was nice and light. Oh, but it was fine. the time when all the blisters were breaking. Mm. And because it was blistering, and it stuck. Oh. And I ripped off. <laughs> great, great picture. No, no I didn't really think. No. During, my thought was like, I never really thought to pray during all that. No. You know what I did decide to pray? You know, I did decide to pray. And in a sense, of crisis was when my dad went to the hospital and was in a coma for a month and a half. Wow. 2016 is about seven, seven summers ago. Actually, right about this time, seven mm-hmm. summers ago. We were in Texas, wondering if my dad was going to walk out of Austin. Doubting that he would. We went from, ooh, my dad had a successful kidney transplant to, yeah, we're thinking about pulling the plug. We're like, what? Excuse me, what? Excuse me. And for about two months, it was like almost daily, if not every other day, kind of updates on Facebook. Here's how you can pray. Here's how you can pray. So all of our Facebook community. At that point, I had about 2,500 to 3,000 friends on Facebook. And I was just like blasting out, giving as many people as possible to pray for my father and for my family. We were in crisis. 
We're in suffering. And we're inviting the church in to pray in this situation. And it's amazing to me how powerful, like these, these little Christian cliches that I kind of, kind of you know, mock or like some kind of say tongue in cheek, how powerful they become in, the, in terms of crisis and suffering. The, 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 the song, Thy Will Be Done, came out right during that summer. And it was powerful. I mean, it was one of those songs that I might, you know, see, you know, hear on the radio, like, oh, it's a cool song. But in the midst of that crisis, in the midst of that suffering, it became so rich and deep and healing and powerful for our family. Remember, we were, we were in my driveway, in the driveway of my grandparents' house, where my parents lived, and my sister and I were just weeping in the car because the song moved us so much. Our prayers were never so powerful. Our faith was never so powerful than in the midst of that suffering and crisis. And so our thought this morning that I want to look at is that we respond to crisis and suffering with fervent prayer. Beautiful. We respond to crisis and suffering with fervent prayer. When the, when the crisis breaks out, when the suffering breaks out, when the enemy lashes out at us, maybe our, our body or our mind or our spirit or our heart, our emotions, when the enemy lashes out to destroy us, to hinder our faith, to harm us physically, to oppress us, we respond with fervent prayer. We run to God. Run and, and run to Him, not run away from Him and, and wonder where He was. In the midst of a crisis, the number one thing you want to do is go closer to the one who can bring healing, who can be your support in the midst of suffering and crisis. We don't want to run away. Running away is the worst thing that we could do. Oh, where was God when that happened? Where was God when this person suffered? Where was God when my relative died? Where was God when I was being pursued? Where was God? Where was God? Where was God? Why God? But why God should always draw us closer into his arms. Amen. Because he's the only one that can give answers. And if he doesn't give answers, he'll give us his presence. And his presence is better than understanding. Amen. And so when we respond, how we respond to crisis and suffering ought to be through passionate, fervent prayer. <coughs> Let's kind of break this down a little bit here this morning. Let's look at our passage. So Aaron breaks up. He kills who? He kills James. This is James, the brother of John. If you remember from the Gospels, that James and John are the sons of Zebedee, the fishermen. Yep. Okay. And these brothers left everything when Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He left his father. They both left their father and went and followed Jesus. These are the sons of thunder. Yeah. <laughs> this is John. So John, the guy who wrote the book of John, the three letters that one, you know, John wants to, you know, first, second, and third John, and the book of Revelation. This is his brother. That was arrested and executed with the sword. This is one of the three core disciples with Jesus. Peter, John. Peter, James, and John. You see them, the Peter, James, and John trio everywhere you go. 
in scripture. Like they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes. They're getting personal access to Jesus that no one else got. Nope. This is one of the closest disciples. This is one of the, the BFFs of Jesus himself <coughs> when he walked this earth. And he does this during the time of the Passover, the same time that Jesus' crucifixion had happened. And this is about, you know, about that time, it says this is about 10 years after the ascension of Jesus. So we saw you know, the, the months leading up to Saul's conversion, and then three years after he ascends, Paul, you know, Saul goes off to Arabia, and then during that, that next seven years, he's, he's coming back to Jerusalem, you know, permission in, in Damascus, coming back to Jerusalem, going to Tarsus for about a year or so, and then he goes over to Antioch, like we talked about last week, with Barnabas. And so this, this time period is about seven years. And so the time between Jesus' ascension and this happening is about ten years. Ten years span. So we're talking like early 40s or so right now. And so persecution, really, if you think about it, if you look at Scripture, it doesn't really seem to be a problem at this time. After, after the, the stoning of Stephen, and then after Saul becomes a Christian, and he's the one that like brings this crazy ravaging you know, persecution against the church, but after Jesus saves him, the, the violence kind of goes away for a while. It does. And there are peace. Like I said, there was peace throughout the land of Judea. There seems to have been a pretty good, long-standing peace in, in Judea until now. Right. And we're not really told what caused Herod to break out against the church in Jerusalem. It's just that he did. I mean, one, one of the possibilities is that, you know, there was a, this, uh, this expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ was going to Gentiles. Like we talked about with Peter and Cornelius a couple weeks back, um, that, you know, that Peter went to the Gentiles, to Cornelius, uh, and through, because of the vision that God gave him. And he went, and the Holy Spirit just fell upon Gentiles, not on Jewish folks, which we're thankful for, right? Amen. I am. Gentiles the same. Woo! We know Jesus because of the Holy Spirit breaking out on so there's good breaking out, so this is not one of them. Right, right. Holy Spirit breaking out, that's awesome. Right. Hair breaking out, not so much. <laughs> but, so possibly the, you know, the, the expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles. But here's the thing, because most Jews at that time had a big problem with that. Oh, yeah. Had a big problem with that. <clears throat> they're all fine with, the non, with this you know, new Jewish sect. That was, you know, reached out to the Jewish people. And even, even Gavin and the Samaritans. Yeah, they're dirty and like that. They don't like them. But at least they're somewhat genetically, you know, associated with us. Right. And they're, they have faith in Abraham and Moses. We just believe that our temples are in different places. So we're pretty close. We don't really like them, but they're close enough. But, oh, Gentile? Oh, heck no. The Romans? No way. We're going to have words out back behind the woodshed if you start talking about saving Gentiles. Those dirty people. <laughs> <laughs> they were had a big problem with us. Well, the church reaching out to Gentiles may have may have been increasing the population within this new Jewish sect that started to create this confliction, especially because they weren't necessarily requiring circumcision. Right. They're okay with like you know the Gentile proselytes that would come, they would get circumcised, follow the whole law, we'll get to in a second, and then become a Christian. But when they jumped it and they didn't follow the Jewish laws or follow the Jewish customs, 
even circumcision as something basic as that, like, they have a big problem with that. That they were just welcoming Gentiles in without any sort of Jewish lifestyle change. They thought it was an addition to, at that point, an addition to the Jewish faith. Not a usurpation of it. A fulfillment of it. Which I always wonder, though, like, how is circumcision a sign? I mean, who's going to see it? (laughs) Not if we're clothed, then not. I mean, like, how is this the sign of the covenant to other people? You know, maybe it's just a reminder of the covenant to yourself. Yeah, But here's the thing with the Jewish culture. I think, remember, the the, the dynamic of of the Romans and Jewish nations right now, they're in conflict. The Jews hate the Romans. Romans. They hate the Romans and the Gentiles associated with them. They hate them. They call it the Roman occupation. The enemy is in charge in the capital. And we need to rid them of it. Yep. Is, their thought, is, their, is their thoughts. Is their feelings for it. But here's the thing. They are so desiring, however, still to see the, keep the status quo. Especially those in power. Especially Herod. Herod is, is very much trying to keep the status quo. Why? So that he can keep his power. Power, which we'll get to here in a second. But, so he killed with the sword. This is not like the killing of Stephen, like a religious breaking out. The religious breaking out was stoning someone, mm-hmm. or at least even flogging them first. This wasn't a religious killing. This was not a religious deference. This was a political move on the, on, on the, in, in, by, by forms of fear. And he saw that, why? He, it pleased the Jews. And that was the reason he did it. Mm-hmm. Was to placate the Romans and please the Jews. Yeah, Why? Because according to Jewish law, Herod had no right to be king. Nope. He had no right. I never knew this until this morning. <laughs> they weren't even Jews. I didn't realize that Herod wasn't even a Jew. No. Well, this guy was about a, a fourth Jew-ish, Jewish. Right? So he was a gent- so Herod the Great, way back when Jesus was born, Herod the Great was a Gentile. Mm-hmm. He was a Gentile proselyte that married a Jewish woman. So his son, Herod Agrippa, um, who was the one who um, je- je- uh, that Jesus died under, um, Herod Agrippa was half Jewish. And now we have Herod Antipas, Antipas the first, that is like the fourth Jewish, or so. <laughs> but it's interesting, though. So here's the thing: is that he was a proselyte, speaking a Gentile. Um, that, but he, so he, he tried to get like the official royal like historian to lie and write down like that he was a, he was you know from an ancient line that came out of the exile from Babylon. They're like, that's stupid. You're dumb. Right, right. This was a false claim, and everyone knew it. So his position was more of one of influence and power given to him than than actual power, like legal power given to it. It was more of an influential part. Uh, So he needed to really tread carefully to keep his status with the Romans and his recognition with the Jews. So he was playing with political parties on both sides. 
There was once a, a rabbi um, who Simon, you know, kind of like the Simon here, I'm sorry, named Simon, who stirred up public attention against um, Herod Agrippa, uh, this guy, so Herod Antipas' father, um, saying that he was not a full-blooded Jew, therefore he had no right to the intercourse, inter intercourse of the temple. And out of this, um, Herod uh, staged a, an emotional appeal to win the sympathy of the Jews. According to custom, on a certain Jewish holiday, uh, this is according to, this is Peter Wagner writing this, according to custom, on a certain Jewish holiday, the king would sit on a platform in the temple and read the law to the people. Herod broke tradition and stood up instead of sitting down to grandstand his supposed humility and reverence for the law. Then Herod came to, uh, I'm sorry, when, when Herod came to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15, it's, it's, which says, you shall, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. When he got to this place, when he read this, his voice cracked and he began weeping. Caught up in the emotion of the moment, the crowd of Jews cried out, You are our brother! You are our brother! When Herod read this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, so as a, as a good prophet, Herod, of course, had been circumcised in the temple and, and had observed Passover, he had been accepted by his Jewish subjects. But he always recognized that his position was precarious. So whenever he could do something special to please the Jews, and relieve, uh, re I'm sorry, revive his identity uh, and, re and relieve the crisis, he gladly did. So he won the favor of the people. He wanted to keep it. He wanted to keep his status. He wanted to keep his power. He wanted to keep his influence. And on both sides. His recognition as a puppet king of the Romans and also as a king ruler over the, the Jewish nation of Israel. Politics, as it's always always been, has always, always been about who can I keep or make happen strategically. Mm. It's a strategy, weighing strategy of who can I keep happy for my best, for right. my good. And Herod's situation was no good. Gentile circumcision was becoming more and more of an issue or an uncircumcision, rather, was becoming more and more of an issue between the Jews and the followers of Jesus, especially the church in Jerusalem. Gentiles' inclusion into the church was starting to become a real problem for the Jewish nation, for the rulers in Jerusalem. The political execution of James seems to earn him favor on both sides. So he decided to up the ante and go for the throat. So he also arrested Peter as well. Um, so. But anyway, we're, we're reading about Herod Antipas because it's not working on this slide. Um, <coughs> is all of this really out of character for him, though? Think about it. His, his spiritual lineage. This, the, the, blood, the bloodline of Herod Antipas I was full of bloodshed. 
Think about his grandfather. Think about it. His grandfather, Herod the Great, killed all the firstborn. Killed all the children around Bethlehem and Jerusalem during that time of when Jesus was born. In order to try to wipe out this new Jewish king. Messiah. He had blood of children and babies on his hands. Nasty. He was filled with bloodshed. He would kill his sons if they saw if he thought that they were a threat to his empire. His whole family was afraid of him. Everyone in Jerusalem, which is why I think I believe that they were still honoring him as king, because they were still afraid from the time of his grandfather, and he has created a culture of fear in Jerusalem. Then all of Judea, there was a spirit of fear that took over the entire nation. What do you think drove them to kill Jesus? Fear. Fear. Mm-hmm. Fear. Of being wrong religiously of God, but also of creating an uprising against the Romans. Both, both directions, they saw him as a threat, and they were afraid for their lives. They were. They were afraid of their livelihoods and their nation. Like Simon, there was a group of rabbis who were questioning the legitimacy of <coughs> King of Herod Antipas, the first here. They were questioning his, 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 uh, his kingship. But he had them all arrested and executed because their teaching did not them. His father, Herod Antipas, had John the Baptist beheaded. For his sexual morality and scandal with, his, with marrying his brother's wife. So, can we really expect any less from this violent and power hungry bloodline to do anything else than kill, steal, and destroy this new political, or so this new religious sect in order to gain more political power and results for himself? Can we really expect anything less? No. <coughs> John 15, 18 through 21 says, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Amen. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name. Amen. These words were right first swirling around the heads of the apostles and the church. Remembering if the world hates you, remember hitting first. Amen. If you have trials and tribulations and sufferings in this life, remember, I also had trials and sufferings and tribulation in this life. This was no doubt, like I said, a political move on the part of Herod. Why else would he wait till Passover of all times? Because everybody's there. They were always there. Why? Because there were lots of Jews in Jerusalem to witness it. To observe and to see his power. There's also a strategic move, not just simply the part of Herod, but also on the part of the demonic. 
the demonic rulers and powers and authority in the unseen realm do not want the kingdom of God to expand and grow and flourish. So they will control whatever power structures they can in order to suppress the church. So let's talk about those. The demonic power structures. So it's demonic power structures. I just have to see my notes on this other page. So we're talking about demonic power structures. The demonic forces want to nip this growth movement in the bud. Demonic power structures operate not only and simply out there in the spiritual realm. Right? I mean, we understand this. I mean, we've been talking about this for quite some time now. And even yesterday, I went, we went on assignment to go and pray over the land. We are, I mean, I'm quite, we are quite understanding that, that, the, that the demonic works in the spiritual realm. And so that's where we fight them. That is where our wrestling happens. Ephesians 6 is all about this, this warfare. We do not, we do not wrestle and, 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 and fight against flesh and blood, but against the authorities and the powers and the rulers and the principalities and the unseen realms. That's where our warfare happens. Because the, physical, the, the spiritual manifests in the physical through sufferings and persecutions and oppositions, including difficulties. I want to add that in there. not just simply persecutions like you're getting beat or you know acid thrown in your face or beating you know beaten to death or cut into pieces with a machete. Like that, those are like kind of obvious. Like what you have, that's kind of obvious. But when people make your life difficult because of what you believe in Jesus, when people leave your relationships or drop you as a friend or as a family member because of your faith, when it's difficult for you to navigate in your work in your work environment because you know that your faith is not welcome yet as who you are, when it's difficult for you in this life, when there are marginalizations, when they tell you to shut up, when you get blocked on Facebook or Instagram, or TikTok, because of the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel that you're preaching, that is difficulties. Those are trials and sufferings. That is marginalization. We know the purpose of the demonic power structures is, as it says in John 10, 10, is that thief comes to only kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. The thief is not just the, the physical, political, or spiritual leaders. It's the spiritual forces in the unseen realm who are warring against the church. Like today in America, we have the spirit of Ishtar. We have the spirit of Baal. We have the spirit of Molech that have entered back into our society. We have the spirits and the demonic realm are being ruled by the gods, once again, <clears throat> we need to become a lot more comfortable talking about it. True. I had a great conversation the other day with a guy who's, who's navigating the Christian faith. And we talked, we talked about the gospel, we talked about the scriptures, we talked about John 3, 16, we talked about the Romans and you know, how there's no one good, no not one. You know, we've all turned against the Lord, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen. And that's why Jesus came. 
Right? So we're talking about the whole basics of the gospel and the resurrection and the glory to come and the, and the, re and the resurrection to come, right? But we also then started talking about, I was wrestling with God, I was like, I don't want to go there, God. God's like, no, no, go there. I'm like, like he's going to think I'm weird. He's going to really think them that I'm like off my rocker. Like, and so I was like, all right, I just laid it out there. Talked about the gods and the spiritual realm and the and the, the entities and, and territorial spirits and all sorts of stuff. And he's like, dude, I'm so glad you talked to me about that because now it makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, women <laughs> in the church who know about the spiritual need to be the most comfortable talking about spiritual things, including the demonic, including angels and God, the Holy Spirit, and the, Holy, and the, and the spirits of God. And the angels and the archangels and the spiritual warfare in the heavenly realms. That's where our warring happens when we're suffering. It's not just physical. Let me say that again. When we're in trials, suffering, opposition, difficulties, it's not just physical. It is affecting both the spiritual. It might be originating in the spiritual, or it might be spilling over into the spiritual. But it, everything is both interconnected. Right. The physical and the spiritual are interconnected. They are not separate realms or entities. They are one and the same. And we, as believers, filled with the holy what? Spirit. Yes. Spirit. Operate and navigate in the spirit. Spirit. We need to get comfortable about spiritual conversations, about the unseen realm, and the reality of it. So write this down. So there's two, two books that you can choose from. One is called Unseen Realm. It's a great, great title for a book about the unseen realm. It's great. Unseen Realm. Write this down. Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Unseen Realm, <clears throat> if you're a nerd. This is the nerd one. If, you're, if you like kind of geeking out on things, his footnotes are phenomenal. They're amazing. But so, so by Michael Heiser. Michael H E I S E R, I believe. He just passed away back in February. Uh, but the, so Unseen Realm is the totality of his entire like 30 years research into the spiritual unseen realm, supernatural realm. So there's a smaller one, so you non-nerdy types, it's it's the abridged version. It's the it's, it's the unseen realm for dummies. No, that's the one I read. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning. Um, and then I, but then I discovered that those very well, I'm like, oh, God, um, But so Supernatural is the shorter, abridged version that gives you just the, the introduction and the, and the gist uh, of it. Uh, but it's, a, it's also a very good, very phenomenal book as well. So it's called Supernatural, um, and it's like a black and red cover, I believe. Uh, but yeah, check, that, check those out um, for a great, just introduction to the unseen supernatural realm and then let's talk don't just don't just read the book on your own read the book and then say hey alan let's let's go let's go for coffee help <laughs> so i mean this this i mean literally i had to like plug my ears because my brain was just exploding um just it completely and utterly completely changed my entire view of scripture and the faith that we believe because it is a spiritual faith it's not just a physical tangible faith in this realm, then there's nothing else. It's the other part of the gospel. It's the rest of the gospel. If you will. 
<clears throat> and so the spiritual forces in the unseen realm are warring against the church as they still are today. Which is one of the reasons why I say we need to understand this, we need to engage in it, and we need to know about it, how to engage with it, and how to understand it biblically. And that's one of the things I believe that these books do a really great job at. Um, what well, of course, this one, of course. Obviously. Um, but they're warring against the church as they're warring against the church today. And massive spiritual warfare is building now behind the scenes. As Herod would allow um, for the for the word to spread of the, of the killing of James and the imprisonment of, of Peter during the Passover and unleavened, Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was letting the word spread so that he could make a spectacle about killing the leader of this church. Mm-hmm. After the Passover is done. Herod took extraordinary measures to ensure uh, you know, the possession of Peter. Look at our passage here. He says that he, he used, what, four squads with four soldiers each. And he was bound with chains between two of them. That says in verse 6, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. Ensuring that he would not escape. Why? Because Peter was slippery. He already escaped twice. Already gotten out of prison. Already been in prison, in jail, in Jerusalem twice. And already slipped out, like, in the middle of the night. Because the angel came to rescue him, brought him out, and then put him into the temple courts he was teaching. They brought him back and put him back in prison. And now it's like his third time in jail. They're like, all right, let's go, let's make sure. So we're not only going to have two guards outside, but two guards inside, and we're going to chain him to him. So he can't get away. Spoiler alert, he still does. Uh-huh. A couple weeks, more, yeah, in a couple weeks we'll talk about, talk about that. Because the angel would, would end up bringing him out. So he wasn't trying, he was trying not to take any chances, not just like I said, posting guards outside, but inside as well. And so here's where I want to end up our, our time here this morning. Why? How do I, what is the point of this morning? The point of this morning is not simply hearing all these things, but this was the crisis. This was the suffering. This was the persecution and the difficulties. And now the new culture of the church. We are now becoming a continually and often and frequently persecuted and hated church. Sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds familiar. We're on the escalation side of this. Much as they, as they were as well. They'll hit them a lot harder right at the beginning. And then Jake Roth in the fourth century. Well, we are right there at the beginning of this great tribulation. And so, but what does this verse, what does this passage tell us about the church? That the church is called to be a praying church. The church in Jerusalem was a praying church. And we are called to be a praying church. Amen. The crux of all of this, the, tr- the crux of all of chapter 12, is verse 5. What does it say? So Peter was kept in prison, but, the church, but was praying. the church was praying fervently to God for the church, The church believed that there was power in prayer. 
So they engaged in fervent prayer. Passionately, full of faith and assurance that Jesus would honor and answer them because they believed he would. And they believed that he desired to. And guess what? God did. Always. Which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. <laughs> fervent prayer. The other time that this fervent prayer is described is in the garden. That Jesus went off and he prayed. And then he came back and he you know, talked to the disciples. He went back and took pray and he came back. And then he went back again the final time and he prayed fervently. Mm-hmm. And what happened? He sweat blood. This was a striving, a suffering in prayer. A fervency, a passionate prayer. Not because of lack of faith, but as a fervent prayer, prayer full of faith. There is a direct cause and effect relationship between the prayer life of intercessors and Peter's release from prison. So my question is today, what and who are those who are politically and people that are not going to spiritually trying to persecute the church? Not just here. Let me, let me be clear on this. When, we, when I talk about the church, I don't mean the, the American church. I mean the church. Worldwide. Worldwide, across the world, Africa, China, mm-hmm. Europe, Turkey. Russia, Ukraine. The true church is Ukraine and Russia, because most of them are false. South America, Central America, Australia. What is the, in Inner America, Canada, Mexico, the worldwide church. If our church, if our brothers and sisters are suffering overseas, we are suffering. Amen. If our brothers and sisters are being joyful and succeeding, it's for the whole church. It's for the benefit of the whole church. <coughs> When I say persecution, to persecute simply means to silence or resist or participate in the silencing or resistance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what persecution is. Whether it's chopping your head off or blocking you on social media or firing you from your job or kicking you out of Christmas, family gatherings, anything that goes to silence you or marginalize you as a Christian is persecution. No matter the, the variance or the volume or the severity, it's all persecution. Where and how and for what are times in the church we, that we, the church, ought to be in these times of fervent prayer like this? What are those times? Where are those times? How, how should we be praying like this? Now, this is not like a constant state that we're supposed to be in. We're not supposed to live our lives in a constant state of crisis, crisis, crisis. No. I mean, the world already wants us to do that. Sure. Instagram already, you know, the algorithm already wants you to think that. Mm-hmm. No, we're just in a constant crisis after crisis, after crisis, after crisis, after crisis. We get crisis fatigue, which is what causes anxiety and panic and depression, anxiety, isolation. Is a stupid crisis fatigue. Because everything is meant to be a crisis to get you emotionally riled up. So why? Because they can control you. Amen. 
The enemy wants to control you. The enemy wants to what? Not just kill you, but he wants to steal from you. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your life. Amen. The, the breath of God, he wants to steal that from you. Because he knows when he steals all the things that give you life, he can then kill your life. Amen. And to destroy all the works that, that the God wants to do in each other's life and in our, and in our region. Mm-hmm. He wants to destroy the work of God. How does he do that? By destroying God's work God. in you. So we're not necessarily supposed to be in this constant state of crisis, 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 crisis. But we are called to rise up in fervent prayer when God calls us to. When, when there is something that God is saying, enter into prayer for that. Enter into prayer for one another. Where can we be praying for one another? Is there a crisis or suffering in, in, in our lives that we can say, I need my church to pray fervently like I was, like I posted with my, all the updates on my dad. We were in a crisis. We were in suffering. I was posting it for as many as my brothers and sisters across the world could see and rise up to fervently pray with us for my dad's healing. And he woke up. And he recovered. Amen. And he's hanging out in Texas today. Probably going to church right now, first Baptist house. Although, we're probably going to watch them. The truth. They're a little ahead of us. So we respond to these things, to crisis, to suffering, to the trials of life, to the persecutions and the oppressions, to the difficulties of life with fervent prayer. We don't run away from God. We run toward God. We don't run away from the church. Oh, I don't want to be a hindrance on the church. I don't want to be a problem on the church. I... No, that's when you need the church. The most. Right. The most is when you are in need most. Mm-hmm. That's why we exist is for the building up of the body, for the encouragement, for praying for one another, mm-hmm. for being with one another, breaking bread as we're going to do here this morning, communing with God and with one another to bring healing, to bring encouragement, as Ephesians 4 says, to build up the body in love. My purpose is to equip us Amen. to do that very thing. To equip the body, you, or the work of ministry. Amen. So the body will build itself up in love. Comes together to pray for one another. Lay hands on one another for healing both physically and emotionally and spiritually. That's why God gave us the body. That's why God gave us one another. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit. So we could all come together. So that all of us who have the Holy Spirit would come together and we build the Holy of Holies right here. Amen. Right? This morning, welcome to the Holy of Holies. Amen, brother. Welcome to the presence of God, brother. Amen. Isn't it good? It is. It's so good. It's better than we thought. So we respond to crisis and suffering with now the question is, how do we do that? How do we engage in that? Where do we change wrong beliefs about prayer and engage in it? 
engage in powerful intercession. Because here's the thing. I think most of you are powerful intercessors and you have no idea. Sure. Because you've never felt like your prayers were honored mm. or heard. Whether they were powerful or meaningful, but they are. Amen. Why? Because the spirit of the living God is, is within you. Everyone of us. And that's where we're called to walk by the spirit. Not just so that we don't go in back <clears> in <throat> sin, but so that we can walk in the Spirit together. Right. Live the abundant life that God has called for each one of us. That living that great adventure, like we talked about in our mandate. Totally alive. We want to shift everyday relationships out of isolation, out of seclusion, out of, I can do this with myself. I'm going to pull, my blue, pull myself up on my blue straps. No. Shifting everyday, everyday relationships into, into authentic community. Right. Shifting into relationships. So that together, so we can live God's adventure together. Fully alive. Fully alive. Amen. So what does it mean for us to pray together fervently to build the body and to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Amen. Through our fervent prayers, because of the power and the dwelling of His Holy Spirit within us. Let's discuss that this morning. I'm going to uh, close in a word of prayer and I'm going to put a few questions up on this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that you hear your church. You hear your saints. You hear our prayers, Lord. You hear us. And you honor us. You bless us and you answer us. And you give us your presence. So God, here this morning, I pray that you would stir within us, Lord, how we can be more present with one another, both physically and emotionally, but also spiritually, God. How can we be there for one another through fervent prayer for one another so that your church builds itself up in love through the dwelling of your Holy Spirit? Teach us this morning. Encourage us, uplift us, and send us away from this place in joy and peace. We thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.